Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Um, welcome back to Heat Fiction. I'm here today with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Okay. Um, hi, uh, I'm Siggy, and I really like pop culture. Um, my main sort of gig is running an Instagram account called Obelisk Fairy, where I share my interests in fashion, music, film, art. Um, I'm 21. I'm originally from New Orleans, and I lived in New York until recently. Um, I have a myriad of other projects in the works, including my own podcast called Siggy Says, which the first episode will be available next week on Patreon and hopefully Spotify. Not really sure how that works, but I'll figure it out at some point. Um, I can help you out with that. It's <laughs> really <do>. easy. <laughs> please do. Um, that's exciting, though. I listened to your little trailer for your first episode. Sounds really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I made it in like a little photo editing, not photo editing, a video editing app on my phone. So I used CapCut for that. It turned that's out okay. cool. <laughs> no, it sounds great. It sounds very um, experimental. That's that's the feeling I got from it, which is such a cliche thing to say. But um, um, I mean, I brought you on here today to talk about. Um, I mean, it's a, kind of a big topic. I don't really know how to describe it. It's broad. I guess it's very broad. Yeah, um, like eight girls and socialites and um, poor little rich girls, all of our favorites. <laughs> I mean, the world would not be the same without them. Um, the culture, as we say, would not be the same without them. Yeah, it really wouldn't. For better or for worse, honestly. Yeah. I mean, everything that we know to be true in 2021 with social media and, I don't know, like e-girls and everyone's oh, yeah. obsession with nepotism models, it all goes back to the original it girls. That's true. Who's your favorite one? Oh, Chloe Sevigny, like without a doubt. Just my favorite. That's a classic one. I mean, I love Chloe, but I do think that my favorite one is probably Edie Sedwig. Um, I, I mean, I was so obsessed with her in like middle school and stuff. I like cut my hair. <laughs> That's, that was like the level of obsession. I was that obsessed with Alice Cullen in middle school. That's that, that was my like style icon in middle school. <laughs> It's probably like a slightly more appropriate one. I mean, I couldn't pull off the whole like um, dangly earring thing in middle school. Like that, that oh was a disaster. God, yeah, the chandelier earring. <laughs> yeah, that didn't, that didn't quite work. Um, and uh, plus it was like the early 2010s. So like the style was just all over the place. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, Chloe is probably the most famous one. And she's like the most successful it girl to ever exist too. I think that's like a real... Thing with it girls like being able to stand the test of time I think yeah. their long longevity speaks for itself that's so true you know like the little clip of the documentary that I sent you I guess it was supposed to be like a trailer but it really just looks like different parts of the interview like <laughs> cut up and um paste it together but at some point I think it's Diane von Furstenberg that says it and she's like um well being an it girl is one thing but 
can you turn into being a forever girl? And like yes. Chloe did. <laughs> she did. Because there used to be this, this concept, especially with Hollywood actresses, specifically this concept of sort of aging out of the spotlight. And that's happening less and less nowadays, which I think is, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah. Especially with Chloe. I mean, um, you know, the J. I, you know, I've been mispronouncing his name for four years. I've been calling him Jack, Jay Macrone for four years. And I realized yesterday it's actually Jack. I forgot how to pronounce it right. I like looked it up right before this. <laughs> but um, the, you know, the author of Bright Lights, Big City, um, like the article that he wrote about her for the New Yorker called The Coolest Girl in the World, which right. I think is also like the coolest article. Like, can you imagine someone writing that article about you? <laughs> I just, I really can't because I feel like there are just so many levels to being just, I think that's that what, that's what um, makes someone an it girl, that, that coolness, that inherent genesis or whatever. And yeah, I feel like that that's something that's inherent almost in, in certain people. Like that's not a learned trait, which is interesting. I don't know. No, absolutely. And I mean, most of the it girls were really young when it first started happening for them. Like um, you reminded me of Corey Kennedy's existence yesterday, which I mean, I love Corey. I don't know why I forgot that she existed. Um, But, you know, she was like, what, 15 when Cobra Snake discovered her? She was so young. Well, I'll tell you why you forgot she existed. It's because when I went on her Wikipedia, (laughs) she's listed as a former American celebrity and socialite. Really, a like, former one? Wow, former. <laughs> that's a distinction to make. My God, that's scathing. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know. You, I didn't know you could be a former celebrity. I was truly shocked. I don't. I mean, no, no shade at all. I love her, but I guess I could see how someone <laughs> would say that. But you know what? She's number one in my heart still. No, she's great. I mean, what happened to her? She went to rehab, right? And then she kind of disappeared. Yeah. Well, isn't that just the tale? (laughs) That's what Yeah. (laughs) You go to rehab, that means you're no longer a spectacle in the eyes of the public. So you're no longer interesting. So you fade away into obscurity, hopefully living a happier, uh, more well-adjusted, but less public life. That's that's what makes Chloe 70 special right like the fact that she didn't really ever do drugs at all she i mean she she smoked a little weed but i i think that just like kept her level-headed throughout everything yeah no i mean obviously she did like party drugs like ecstasy or whatever i mean who doesn't but she wasn't like an addict oh yeah she wasn't yeah because most eight girls are complete messes i mean think kat marnell oh kat marnell she honestly in the same way that Chloe Sevigny has that longevity, I feel like Kat Marnell has achieved the same thing on the opposite end of the spectrum in that instead of making like a seamless transition into a more mature it woman, if you will, <laughs> she kind of just really doubled down on her ways and refused to change. She's like, I don't know, the personification of the song Rehab by Amy Winehouse. Like, (laughs) and we love her for it. And we're just really glad she's still kicking and somehow just doing the same thing she's always been doing. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's like that article you sent me, um, a way for Kat Monell to stop acting like Kat Monell, but she never does. <laughs> never. I think the act has just become a real part of her at this point. No, totally. I mean, I talk about this a lot in this podcast, like, you know, archetypal possession. Like when you embody an archetype for so long, the archetype becomes you. And she kind of like, um, even in that article that you sent me, like, um, it talks about how self-aware she is of the fact that she's embodying a very particular sort of idea. And, you know, it name drops like Edie Sedwig and Courtney Love and stuff. And she's, she's like very aware of the thing that she modeled herself to be. And it sort of became her. And now she's kind of stuck being that forever. Yeah. I think something that sets <laughs> Kat Morello apart is her earnestness in that way. I think you're right that, um, there's a level of um, self-awareness that really mystifies the average person in that they're so able to talk about themselves and allow themselves to be talked about in a way that's self-aware but unself-conscious because you have to be unself-conscious to, I don't know, have people just talking about you all the time and then kind of pretending like you don't care or actually not caring, I'm not sure. You know, if it's yeah. really achievable to just not care uh, what people are saying about you. But uh, a lot of it girls seem to pull it off. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there has to be like a certain level of detachment to be able to pull it off, right? I think either detachment or really hard drugs. <laughs> like the, that's yeah. the two kind of ways that it exists for it girls. Like you either, either you're like aloof and detached like Chloe Sevigny, like forever for no particular reason, or you um, slowly disintegrate in front of everyone's eyes. Right. Hmm. I'm trying to think about which one would be like most preferable. Like in terms of yeah. going down in, in history, like which path? <laughs> I mean, I guess Chloe 70, right? Because she's the one who really, who got to like grow, right? Like she got to like have a kid and get married and yeah. still like be. She got to have it all. Yeah, she really did. Yeah, she got to have it all. You know, like the, the, the part that I think is really funny in that Jay, I literally cannot pronounce his last name. <laughs> article is like where he's like wait i'm gonna read that quote because i think it's super funny um somebody someday somebody should erect a statue to chloe to chloe in Tompkins square park with the amazing legend she didn't want to be an actress or a model which is so funny like reading back now <laughs> do you think she actually didn't want to be an actress or a model or just kind of happened oh, to her um i mean thinking about the way that she was discovered just like standing on the side of the street sort of thing. I, I think she may put up a good front in that way, but I think anyone in New York kind of has those aspirations, whether they voice them or not. I think they, they have those aspirations, and I don't think she's any different in that way. I just think she's much better at being cool about it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of like the Sky Ferreira thing, right? Where you're like, is Sky Ferreira an it girl? Does she qualify or does she have? Because the thing with it girls is that they don't have like a defined profession, right? Like they're kind of like oh, all yeah. over the place. I think a, a, a defining trait of it girls is really being a jack of all trades in that they, it's, they have a lot of different passions and projects. You know what? I won't even say passions. I'll say projects and 
aspirations and um yeah i i think i think you're right but i'm I'm not sure if she i feel like spiritually she qualifies as an it girl um yeah i'm not sure i would like to consider her an it girl she was she's it girl adjacent i'll say that she is yeah i mean i guess in a way she qualifies because despite being so focused on her music she hasn't released an album like what seven years now but like despite being so focused on her music like she's primarily known for modeling like you know i didn't know she was a musician for years yeah i mean she is known for her looks first and foremost i will say that i definitely didn't listen to her music until later in the game um but i don't know i think i think she's an it girl i don't know i think she's she's been through enough she's done enough to where she can have the title yeah, that's true. What do you think is the main difference between a girls and socialites? And is there a difference? I think I think there is a difference. And I think it's that with socialites, there is a level of, I don't know, class and wealth involved that isn't necessarily mandatory when it comes to talking about it girls, just because a main part of being an it girl is... I don't know. That it's that they always have things that you don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that they spent a lot of money on them or that they're high fashion or things like that. So it's that level of wealth, I think, is the difference. But then also when it comes to it girls and socialites, I think that it girls are more focused on becoming the spectacle and getting their names out there. I don't know, being in the news. Um at any expense when it comes to socialites i think of them more so behind the scenes kind of content to i don't know live their own lives in a quieter fashion i'd say yeah that's true i think socialites are always also a bit older or at least like more established in the sense that they're usually like married or they come from like huge rich families like famous families and stuff and they kind of yeah you're right they kind of do it like behind behind the scenes what about poor little rich girls what else um poor little rich girls um (laughs) poor little rich girls are very interesting in that they're not very i don't find them to be very complex but i find them interesting all the same like I don't know. I, I think the difference there is that they are possibly looking to become the spectacle at any expense possible, even above having, I don't know, even above having passions or side aspirations or any sort of artistic, like being a poor little rich girl is not associated with any sort of um, artistic endeavors or any sort of creative fields um when i think of poor little rich girls i don't know it just it feels like the pipeline to who who the kardashians are and like the culture they've established interesting wait why do you say that because when it comes to poor little rich girls when i think of that i think of people who qualify as socialites and they can also qualify as it girls i think the people who i'm thinking of more along the lines of like I guess Paris Hilton sort of like who are like Ooh. people who are famous for being famous. They're the ones who are famous just for being famous for not really doing anything because they're like 
born into whatever lifestyle that they're, um, yeah, they, they become a product of their lifestyle rather than becoming, rather than being a socialite where, where you said like you marry into um, a certain social scene or when you're an it girl, you sort of aspire to go to New York or LA or places like that and establish yourself where poor little rich girls are a product of their upbringing. Interesting. It's actually really interesting that you bring up Paris Hilton because I think like in my head, Paris is somebody who started out as an it girl, right? Like she kind of, she, you know, people call her like the first influencer. And I think in a lot of ways she really is. I mean, influencer in, in, in the context that we know of it today. And, but I think after the documentary that she made came out like last year, she sort of made the transition to poor little rich girl. And pe- people never saw her as a poor little rich girl before because she kind of always presented herself as somebody who's happy with the side effects of her wealth and her fame. And now with that documentary, so she sort of like reversed that. So now you're supposed to feel sorry for her for having come from the family that she comes from. Right. I think that it's a very convenient Uh, spin to take and it's one that kind of allows her to grow into the same longevity that we mentioned with Chloe Sevigny but I guess she's kind of I don't want to accuse her of anything nefarious but everything when you're a public figure it goes everything is about the image that you portray and everything is very carefully calculated. And so I think while I absolutely believe that she had her struggles and being her was probably not easy at all. It's probably still not easy, but I think it's, it's very, it's a very convenient time timing. The timing is convenient. Everything is about, I don't know. She can capitalize off of, you know, the situation. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, we live in a victimhood culture, right? And so suddenly she becomes a victim. Well, she was never a victim before and she never presented herself and such, which is, I mean, Paris is probably the most fame-hungry person to ever exist in a public eye comparable to only Madonna. But like, like I mean, Madonna did it in a different way, obviously, and she comes from a different background. But I mean, Paris is like, um, and she's self-aware about it as well it's like that um song platinum blonde i think i sent you a link to it as well yeah. i mean like the way that she sings about you know like oh i'm a platinum blonde like i'm the same as debbie harry and like uh, marilyn monroe and stuff and, and I, again there's like a level of archetypal awareness of the image that she's trying to um embody and possess and that image is like yeah flip now where okay like the only way to be famous now is if people can pity you and feel sorry for you, not envy you. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the, that absolutely reminded me of um, a model that was recently in the news. I'm, was it Linda Evangelista? I think. Oh, really? Forgive me, Linda Evangelista, if this is not you, uh, I'm going to fact check myself afterwards, but I think it was her. She was recently in the news. Um, she talked about getting cool sculpting, a cool sculpting procedure done, um, which is, if you don't know what cool sculpting is, I I mean, God, I don't even really know what the fuck it is to be explaining (laughs) it like this, but all I know is that it's a machine and it's really cold and it's supposed to freeze the fat cells off of your body. And there is a risk associated with using it 
And that risk is apparently a very small chance that the fat cells, instead of melting away, will freeze up and harden under your skin and uh, expand. So she, yeah, she was in the news (laughs) talking about how she was permanently disfigured and how her legacy is ruined and all of this. And I think that there might've been, I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't seen any pictures and I'm sure it's, it's terrible, but I don't know. It's, it's once again, capitalizing off of, a level of victimhood that kind of undercuts her legacy in a way. Cause instead, yeah. I don't know, like now when I think of her, that's what I'm going to think of. <laughs> right. Yeah. It cheapens their achievements. Right. Cause it's like, and with Paris, it's the same thing. Like, okay. Yeah. She was like the spoiled socialite. Um, and people kind of always saw her as that. And that was cool in its own way. It was, she was like, she was like a Barbie, right? Like, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't, like don't want to know. She wasn't real in our heads. She was, she was yeah. a living doll. Which is cool. Like th- there should be more living dolls out there. Like, I think so. That's honestly my ideology. I think people, like, I think celebrities should be fake. I don't care for real celebrities. I don't want to know about their problems. Thank you. I think that's such a huge issue in, like, the culture right now is the fact that celebrities, it's just the death of celebrity mystique. Like, celebrities Mm. used to be interesting and cool because we didn't know anything about them. They never open their mouths. How do you think that Beyonce has maintained the the status that she has? She doesn't give interviews. She doesn't talk. She doesn't talk about her opinions. She doesn't talk about her politics. She doesn't care to share any of that. And I don't care to hear it. And I'm okay with that. There are certain things that I just don't need to know. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it can really, it's just really ruined the idea of the celebrity as, as an archetype, I think. Totally. I mean, like, what's the point of being famous if all you do is, like, utilize other people for your three, like, free therapy? You know, that uh, at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. They're, like, using us all to, like, work through their problems. Exactly. And they're just, <laughs> it's, it's terrifying the way that people are emboldened and just so, I mean, there, it seems like, People have unlimited amounts of power, but at the end of the day, I don't know if I would, I mean, I'm technically on a very, on a very low level doing that right now, um, inviting scrutiny and sort of putting myself in the court of public opinion. But yeah, I think that that power that they wield due to their audiences isn't very stable because of that, is the way that, I don't know. Everyone shares everything, everything and everyone is so, are so fickle that people can turn on you in the drop of a hat and f- to have that happen on like a fan base mass level is absolutely terrifying to me. Yeah, that's why if you're famous already, you should never open your mouth, right? Like if you're famous already, what's the point of you being on social media? Like I, I mean, okay. I'll give it to Madonna. Her Instagram presence is interesting enough that it adds something to her overall persona. But like, but also why is she on Instagram to begin with? She's Madonna. Like everybody knows who she is. Why is she there? You know what? Why is she on Instagram? And to be quite honest with you, why is Courtney Love 
pandering <laughs> to Gen Zers on Instagram. Why is she doing this? Yeah, it's it's very. She's jumping through hoops. She's doing little dances, and it's a little unsettling. I'm not gonna lie to you. It is very unsettling, but I mean, I will defend Courtney Love's right to be on Instagram though, because I think she really adds a lot to that website. I mean, I have a thing against Instagram in general, like it's probably my least favorite app to ever exist. So like, I mean, Courtney's Instagram presence is so chaotic and I don't know if it's intentionally or so because sometimes she posts things and I can't understand a word of what she's saying and I just wonder if it's like her just having fried her brains on drugs for so many years that none of it makes any cohesive sense or if it's some sort of performance but honestly like also Courtney is like hated enough that she's I mean she's very famous but she's infamous more so than she's like famous she's the female Morrissey she is yeah <laughs> oh god i mean courtney love is kind of a poor little rich girl as well she is i mean yeah yeah well i don't know because people don't really pity courtney <laughs> people don't really pity <laughs> no one really pities poor little rich girls though because like i mean i guess the most famous poor little rich girl besides edie sedwick is barbara hutton and like people hated barbara hutton like, no one felt sorry for Barbara Hutton. I mean, I guess, yeah, there is that level of, I don't know. I, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's now that people are starting to, like, pity celebrities. Like, you know, like Jam- Jamila, only, whatever. That's only because they want to be them. That's true. Yeah, they, they, they want to know that celebrities are just as miserable as they are. So that means that they could also be famous. I mean, I guess everyone's kind of... I mean, what does fame even mean nowadays, anyway? Like... Eighty thousand on Instagram. <laughs> Fame is obsolete. Everyone is famous. Everyone is famous. Everyone is a notable figure because I don't know. You can just create fame. You can just create. There just there are a lot of there are a lot more resources for everyone, and I think that that's really good. But you know, it's the, it's that level of gatekeeping. Gatekeeping is good. Sometimes. Yeah. Things should be gatekept. <laughs> Total, absolutely, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, I guess that's why um, the whole like Edie Sobek, poor little girl routine, like you know Warhol's movies and stuff, is so much more intriguing than like Paris Hilton's documentary because <laughs> it's just it feels a lot more. I don't know, avant garde. I guess it's a cliche thing to say. <laughs> But I, I almost wonder if it only feels so authentic and just because we just don't know all the little details about her that we know about Paris Hilton, that we know about, you know, e-girls of the present day. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I wonder if, like, the people of the past that we idolize would be so interesting if, I don't know, they were placed in the same conditions i don't know of present day (laughs) no totally i mean of of course it's like it's like the making of a celebrity right like you there's certain details that you don't you shouldn't know about them in order for that person to become an icon i mean even like the because the term it girl itself like comes from that clara bow movie and like you know like old hollywood like you know, silent film Hollywood and stuff that was all about iconography and about the creation of a star as like an image that can be projected on. And like, 
you know, like the kind of people that like became famous during that time were people who um, had who had the potential to like have things imposed on them. While as now it's like you have to have a complete image before, like the brand has to exist before the brand is made, if I'm making right. sense. Absolutely. No, I absolutely understand what you're saying. Like it has to, most people establish themselves over time and it happens organically and they're able to cultivate their own brand over time. But yeah, you're right. Like the brand has to be prepackaged and I don't know, it makes for just really boring stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely, because, like, the iconography is repeated, right? It's the same images, like, looped to the point where it's, like, I think I think Kat Marinelle is really, like, the last of, like, the classical it girls that we're ever going to see, you know, like, the classical. I mean, she's also a poor little rich girl now. She's, I guess, a socialite because she's too old to be an it girl. So, like, <laughs> there's, like, all these things at once. And I think she's really, like, the last figure who we're going to see that in because, like, you know, that the age of that is gone now. Yeah, I, I feel like current conditions with social media have kind of made it impossible for anyone to be an ick girl i mean people try um i'm not they kind of succeed in because i feel like there there was a devolving of the archetype of the ick girl um into the categories of e-girl and aspiring nepotism model I feel like those are the two yeah. <laughs> groups that have arisen. Yeah. No, it's actually, it's funny that you bring up nepotism models because I was Googling Kate Moss, it girl yesterday for like 10 minutes. And the only thing that kept on coming up was like, Ly- her name's Lila, Lila. I don't, I don't know. Oh her daughter. Yes. Yeah. And it was like Lila Moss, the it girl. And I'm like, she's not a fucking it girl. Her mom is like, what are you talking about? No, Exactly. It was just so disappointing. Like, and I don't know if you've ever seen her TikTok. It was just so, she's just like a girl. Like, she's just a girl. I'm not, like, she's pretty. I don't know. Because, like, an it girl wouldn't be on TikTok. Like, you can't be an it girl and have a TikTok. Then you're just a girl on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What I saw with her, um, she walked, I, I forget what show it was recently. But she was in the news and people, they were calling her a supermodel, which, okay, that's okay. Mm. That's a little much, a little much there. But the main thing that I noticed, all of, all of the articles were not about her modeling, not about her appearance, not about her mother, really. It, they were about the fact that she was walking the runway with her insulin pump, showing oh, that she has God. diabetes. And so they were just calling, they were like, she's so brave. She's normalizing having diabetes. It's like, okay, I don't think, I, I think everyone knows about diabetes. I, <laughs> I think we're aware. I don't think we need to necessarily raise diabetes awareness. So I think, I, I just feel like it's a cheap, not, not for her to, have the insulin pump on the runway. I'm not talking about that. I don't think that's a cheap move. I think it's a cheap move in a, from a journalistic standpoint to kind of tout that as 
her being so brave where it's like, no, that's she just fucking needs that to live. Like she needs yeah. it to survive. <laughs> like it's just something she has. I just all this talk of like normalize this and validate that. It's like just relax. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. We don't we don't need to normalize anything anymore. Also, like everything's normalized. What are you talking? You can just do things. You don't need them to be commonly accepted to do things. Like, why is everyone such a fucking coward? Like it's not that hard to just do things. Like, why do you need something to be valid before you do it? Yeah. That's honestly, that's why I yeah. don't think anyone like thinks anymore. They just know what is publicly socially accepted they regurgitate it they win brownie points they do their little virtue signals and they go about on their way and they don't have to think they don't have to come up with any solutions to any actual problems they can just i don't know normalize their pathologies (laughs) yeah like they can be neutral and in the right at the same time yeah. So it's a very lazy way of being. Totally. You know what that also makes me think of? You know, like, because the term, like, normalize this, like, whatever, it's, like, it's literally used in all sorts of, like, internet niches and stuff. And, like, the the fashion niche community thing uses that a lot, where it's, like, oh, normalize wearing, I don't know, knee-high books, boots or whatever, where it's, like, nobody that's been normalized literally forever. You can just do that. Like no one, it's so, so stupid. But anyway, like that kind of makes me think of like how um, a lot of eight girls, like especially early 2010s eight girls, like Alexa Chung and stuff, like their wardrobe and way of dressing and presenting themselves was basically completely borrowed from like the eight girls of the past. Like, you know, like Alexa Chung is, if somebody like took Jane Birkin and a bunch of groupies from the 60s and mashed them together into like just a British girl. Like, you know, and said, this is, this is your new girl. <laughs> We're doing this now. Yeah, I think, I think you have a point with that. Uh, but I think that's sort of the thing about it, girls, is that that, that, that that reminds me of, there was a portion of the article um, with Chloe Sevigny that I said, um, or maybe it's one that you sent. I don't recall at this point. <laughs> it was an article about Chloe Sevigny. That's all you need to know. But um, I'm trying to find it in my notes. Oh my gosh. Um, no worries. Take your time. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drink some water because I can't open this. <laughs> okay, I can't find it, but I'm just gonna paraphrase. Yeah. Um, so there was. Um, just the article was sort of just talking about how Chloe Sevigny would constantly, I don't know, she was constantly reading fashion theory. She was reading magazines. Um, she was always learning about fashions of the past, which is what allowed her to stay on top of the trends of the future because trend cycles constantly repeat themselves, like you were saying. And so the thing about, it girls is that you have to be really skilled at, I don't know, knowing your history because to be able to predict the future, you have to know the past. And so yeah. I think that's a huge part of being an it girl. 
No, totally. But I think Chloe did it really skillfully where, you know, obviously, I mean, most of her wardrobe, especially in the early days, was like completely thrifted. So obviously it's like old stuff, but she did make it look new. My biggest problem with Alexa Chung is that she's literally just like, you know, she watched a bunch of Jane Birkin movies and she was like, oh, I'm going to be that. And so she like went to like, I don't know, a thrift store in Shortage and bought all of those clothes. And everyone was like, yeah, you're a new thing. You know, go date a bunch of rock stars and you're going to be a star. Like, it's just. She did start the, I mean, she didn't start it, but she kind of solidified the rock stars girlfriend archetype in a way that hadn't been. I mean, you never really thought of rock stars having counterparts too often up until that point so it was mostly like groupies it it brings it to a level of i don't know it's kind of the same as like an artist muse situation but it has a different connotation i guess yeah i guess in a way i mean she was a muse i guess to a certain (laughs) extent but like in the 2010s way where it's like i'm a muse but i'm gonna write an article about it you know (laughs) like that kind of thing where it's like yeah you you try to embody old archetypes and stuff but you can't quite let go of like confessional culture and oversharing so you do the two at the same time and it kind of comes off really weird i read her book in preparation for this episode it was i mean a book like it's you know it's very little text a lot of pictures <laughs> and in it she basically just talks about it's 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 basically her like recounting her early days as like i guess she was like an mtv vj or something like she, she did some sort of like tv um presenter thing and then she just started dating famous men and dressing like um french actresses and groupies and like in it she it's in it, she, because I have a thing for Anita Pallenberg. And in the book, Alexa Chung calls her groupie, which is like, Anita Pallenberg was not a groupie. That is ridiculous. And she calls Marion Faithful a groupie too. And Marion Faithful was literally a singer. Like, that was her, like, she had a job. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just completely no. ridiculous. It really pissed me off. <laughs> no, I understand that makes, I, I think the thing about Alexa Chung is that she does all of this and then asks to be taken seriously in a way that it girls don't typically ask of the public or of the media. Um, I think there's a level of never being taken seriously or only being taken seriously by the teenage girls that idolize um, the person in question. And I just, because in the article that you said um, with Chloe Sevigny, uh, it just kind of felt mocking at first, almost. Um, just yeah. the beginning of it, the way that it was like, is she, did, are the girls coming up to her because she did this or because she was just cast in this? Maybe it's because they saw her in this. I don't know. It just had like a flippant tone to it that I may be projecting. Um, <laughs> no, it definitely did. I mean, Jane. Oh, my God. Jane. <laughs> McInerney, McInerney, McInerney. I looked it up. It's Jay McInerney. I've been mispronouncing for years. But anyway, he definitely did not like her in the beginning, especially. Like, I think he kind of warmed up to her as the article progressed. But in the beginning, he was kind of a dick. Yeah, it felt like, it just felt like he, someone, someone handed him that, that assignment. And 
he was like, okay, fine, I guess. I guess I'll yeah. go interview who's at Chloe Sevigny, whoever that is. And yeah. then, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's just the nature of, I don't know, the way women are perceived in society and the way that especially women who who are, I guess, perceived as being famous for not doing very much, famous for existing almost, um, existing first and foremost, not that they don't do other things, but they are famous simply for being who they are. So I guess yeah. I understand the level of apprehension, but there was no need for all of the, the flippancy. Yeah, <laughs> there really wasn't. But I, I do think that he kind of warmed up to her at the end. But like, um, yeah, I mean, Chloe, I guess, is really like the a girl who kind of just became really famous for just being herself, which is like, that's like everyone's dream now, right? To be famous for just being you. Like, because people always talk about like, you know, how posting is an art form and stuff. And I, I guess to a certain extent it is, but really what it kind of posting is a job for someone who is good at being themselves if that makes sense mm -hmm. so it's like what re what people really admire is someone's ability to capitalize of existence of their existence that's true well because that actually is is becoming more and more difficult i think to yeah. be an individual in that nowadays especially Gen Zers, we're, it's, we're conditioned to believe that um, you're an individual just because, just by being your, I mean, you are an individual just by being yourself, of course, <laughs> but being, <laughs> that was, that was. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> but you're in, but by following, by doing the same thing everyone else is doing, by following the same trends, you are an individual in a creative sense just by the basis of being yourself but not making any effort to make yourself any different than anyone else you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah no i get what you mean oh god like I a just, participation I just, trophy yeah yeah no to total i mean that's what everyone wants right like they just they to just i mean i guess in a way that's a beautiful desire to just want to be we've kind of come full circle you know like it's um it's the anti like work ethic uh capitalist sentiment where you don't want to do things you just want to be it's kind of poetic really that reminds me of like an article that i read about um anthony bourdain and i think mm -hmm. if, if anyone was gonna be an it man an it guy I think of Anthony. <laughs> that's true. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. He said, um, "Let me pull it up because I don't. I don't want to paraphrase him. I want to get what he said right." Um, he was talking about how um, there's. I should have had this saved, waiting and ready. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't it can be as messy as you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I found it. Okay. <clears throat> so. Anthony Bourdain once said, I understand there's a guy inside of me who wants to lay in bed, smoke weed all day, and watch cartoons and old movies. My whole life has been a series of stratagems to outwit that guy. So it's, it's, it's that level of self-awareness of that desire for hedonism to just 
do nothing but knowing that and actively working against it. Not that it's always a bad thing to do nothing, to not have any drive or ambition or aspirations, but you can't just be expected to coast off of being you, I guess. Because <laughs> people yeah. always say, you just got to be yourself. That's all you need. It's like, no, no. I don't really. I think you need other things. You gotta bring. You do need other things. Yeah. No, it's like the it's like the famous Ayn Rand thing where you know she like gave some interview and she went on this whole tangent about how like you know like. no one really loves other people for just who they are. Like you can't expect love from people. Like you have to work for it. And in a way, I think it's really, I mean, you know, like you can criticize her for a lot of things, but I do think that she was really right when she said it, especially when it comes to like the way that celebrities and, um, like, you know, niche celebrities expect fame and acclaim and adoration just for existing <laughs> and just being themselves. All love is conditional, especially um, love that isn't actually love. I've used this phrase about a thousand times, a parasocial relationship. That's what I was thinking of. Almost lost that phrase yeah. in my brain. Um, it's not actually love. It's they think it's love, but and I mean, I guess in a way you could you can say it. It isn't. You can't differentiate it from love because, like I said before, all love is conditional. But it's that that parasocial love that's just really terrifying. Yeah. No. Totally. I. It kind of also it makes me think again of like um like Barbara Hutton and like those types of. Famous people were like, um, because a big thing for poor little rich girls is the desire for unconditional love or like love despite their conditions. Because I mean, obviously, like when you have that much money, you're gonna like most people who are gonna be in your life are gonna be after your money, especially people who, you know, men who like want to marry you and possess you and own the things that you do. And like a lot of like, yeah, and a lot of those people are basically all about like wanting, you know, romantic, poetic, like uh, life-changing kind of love. And I think that's, I don't know. I just, I, th- I think it's really interesting, like in the context of like social media and the way that everyone is so like money hungry and power hungry. And that's, that's not even a bad thing. Like I think it's a good thing that people are ambitious. I think ambition is a good thing, but like, um, it's just interesting that a lot of people like that when you have all those things, what you want is just to be like loved like a little kid, but like loved by your parents, you know, like unconditionally for just being. I think that that's, well, that's a big reason. I think that ties into a big reason why people find it very difficult to pity poor little rich girls and sympathize and empathize with them is because at the end of the day, on a realistic level, they probably could have the things that they want. They just want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to retain the lifestyle and the glamour and the parties and the drugs. And they don't want to, I don't know, they don't, I don't know. It's just not something that you can sustain having both at the same time being that far into the public eye and that far into, I don't know, (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, I mean, because glamour is all about misery, right? Like glamour is all about like 
you have to be lost to be glamorous. You can't be glamorous and happy. That's not what glamour is. Like glamour is, you know, um, it's like that. There was like a meme a couple of years going around. That's like, um, you know, like, um, I want to be the kind of like, I, I want to be staying at the Ritz and like crying in my room or whatever. Like it was all about how, like, you know, like, uh, it's not about being happy. It's about like yeah. changing your conditions more so than changing like your internal feelings or whatever. And it's like that thing. Glamour is that glamour is when you have everything and you're still miserable. I think that's where we're so, I think that's why we really like it when poor little witch girls like disintegrate in front of our eyes. Cause we want them to like, <laughs> it's hot. Yeah. Cause like people love being sad. People love being sad, especially yeah. nowadays. And people love to see other people being sad. People love being sad from watching other people being sad and everyone being sad together. Yeah, because sadness is such an easy emotion. Like nothing is easier than being sad and nothing feels as good. Nothing feels as good as sad feelings, you know, like. <laughs> and nothing feels as good as being validated in your sadness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you're so right. Yeah. That's like victimhood culture, basically. Like, you know, somebody like patting you on the back and saying like, yeah, you're, you're right to be upset about this. Yeah. You know, it's like therapy culture at large. That is something that I had to get over. Like that was a complex that I had with myself. I had a huge revenge complex, a huge like victimhood complex, thinking that I've been like wronged by people in life. And just having these fantasies of getting back at them and being justified. And, and, and I think that's the problem with basically everything is that everyone wants to be justified. Everyone wants to be right. And no one actually wants to have discussions of what it means to be right about something and how it affects everyone. I don't know. That's, that's pretty broad, but... <laughs> No, yeah, because I mean, like the whole thing with like victimhood and revenge, like, I guess victimhood in a way is revenge, especially the way that victimhood is being exploited now. And I mean, it's me too, but it's a lot of thing, other things as well. You know, it's like people publishing, like uh, revealing confessional articles about themselves, talking about their um, traumas, whatever that fucking means. And like, like things like that, where it's like, you know, if you talk about it and a couple of people tell you that you're right that means that like um the people like the people who hurt you have wronged you which is not always true like just because you know just because you're hurt doesn't mean that someone actually did something to you like i like your own sadness is your responsibility like there's some things that are objectively fucking horrible you know like when i don't know like when something really horrible happens like you have the right to be sad i mean you always have the right to be sad it's not even about having the right it's just like do you want to be sad though like is that I mean, I guess people do want to be sad. I'm like answering my own question here. I'm like thinking about myself too. It's like, you know, sadness. It just feels so good. <laughs> Being sad, just so addictive. I think the difference just comes in when you get to the point of externalizing those feelings and making, I don't want to say making those feelings other people's problem because I don't want people to think that they're um, emotional needs are uh an issue um but uh i i think it i totally forgot what i was saying like brain stopped working just it's that the thought is gone it's gone <laughs> it's, it's gone that's crazy wow anyways 
Um, I forgot what we were talking about before I went on this whole sad victimhood tangent. But um, I don't know. Like sometimes, like there are weeks when I just hyperfixate on certain ideas, and then somehow everything I do just happens to be about that. Like I just bring every single conversation I have with people, every single thing I write to like that little idea that I hyperfixated on. But um, I mean, I guess this time it's kind of related anyway. But um, I was thinking about someone. Oh. Peaches Geldof, because yes, yeah. Um, what category do you think she fits in, or does she fit into all categories? Because I guess she fits into all categories. She's definitely in all the categories, but I wouldn't necessarily call her an it girl because I don't feel as though there with it girls there's a lot to aspire to, and I'm not quite sure how much of her lived experience along with her fashion influence. I don't know if that necessarily qualifies her for... She, I, I would say she's it girl adjacent as well. Just like Sky yeah. Ferreira. She's more in the poor little rich girl category, for sure. She's a socialite too. I mean, Peaches Geldof was like kind of behind the scenes because she like wrote articles for like The Telegraph and Elle and stuff. Like she worked, she had a real job that included like doing things that wasn't just posing and stuff. And like, and yeah, she was definitely a poor little rich girl. It's really sad that she died the same way as her mother. That article that I sent about her, I thought was very, it's just very telling to how everything was a a spectacle back then and just the way that people were talked about in the media was so different um oh going back to sorry bringing things back to chloe seven years love chloe seven years <laughs> um, i mean who doesn't <laughs> i just she's just the best but there's an instance um in which she is Oh, okay. Uh, in the article, uh, he talks about, uh, he mentions her height and what she's wearing, and he mentions her weight. And it, it's a very offhand. He's just like, she's 5'8", 110 pounds. And I just thought it was interesting uh, to look at, I don't know, a culture not yet ravaged by the effects of heroin chic in the media oh, yeah. because I think that that was a huge turning point with the way that people talked about body image and just the way that they felt comfortable talking about or not not felt comfortable talking about but were allowed to talk about public figures in that way oh yeah totally I mean celebrity before the 2010s was like Again, it, like we didn't see celebrities as real people and we were allowed to deconstruct them at any, like at our convenience, right? Like you could talk about, like you could just, you know, dissect them into little pieces and talk about them as like an object and that was generally accepted. That's what we did with like everyone. It was just like, I mean, Paris Hilton, especially like that she's what, like the most photographed woman in the world, like the way that she was literally, you know, she was literally dissected into little pieces like through like the actual like photographer's lens and like the lens of public perception or whatever. Like she was a thing, a Barbie, a doll. Like no one saw her as a real person. And that was the whole point. I mean, it's funny as well that people, because you said that people like didn't even think anything of just like mentioning someone's, like the way someone looks and such, you know, 
detail like in that way I mean it, it's kind of refreshing looking back now I don't, I don't know it's just refreshing in the sense that it's like like you know the past is really like a foreign co- country or whatever people say I think it's definitely refreshing in that way just because the way that he mentioned her weight it was completely innocuous but if something like that was mentioned in an article today that would be the last article he ever wrote they would he would never do another interview again and yeah. i just think <laughs> in a way that that level of they, that level of callousness with i don't want to say callousness that's a negative term but callousness um about talking about people and picking them apart picking apart celebrities has been amplified in a way not so much in the media but um stan culture has taken hold and has kind of taken on that role of being the ones to pick everything apart and i find it concerning the level to which that people will say absolutely anything to public figures, celebrities online, especially because I, I guess I understand from a standpoint of they're rich and famous and they seem to have everything together, but I can't imagine getting people saying all kinds of things about you to you and it coming in that, I don't know, that large amount, I just, it would be a lot to handle, I think. So I think oh, that... Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I mean, fame itself. And it's funny now that we kind of, we, we have niche celebrities and then we have like, you know, like, um, like mega stars, like Disney kids who like Olivia Rodrigo and stuff, like people, like industry plants and like k-pop stars and j-pop stars that are all obviously like industry plans but like very like obviously so and publicly so like they don't hide it like it's not like it's not the whole olivia rodrigo thing where it's like oh she just happened to like be a really talented singer songwriter we didn't know it just happened like (laughs) it's very natural (laughs) we had nothing to do with it but like um, like industry plans or like niche celebrities and like the industry plans, like mega superstars are, yeah, they're, they're still kind of seen as objects, but at the same time humanized through that objectification, because the way, like, especially like my algorithm doesn't really like include a lot of that, but I do occasionally see like uh, a post about someone like, um, literally dissecting a picture of like a K-pop celebrity, like, you know, they like zoom in on like one detail on their face and it's like, and the caption is something like blah, so-and-so was seen like with a new, like whatever, or like, you know, there was a bruise on his, like things like that. And it's just completely crazy that that's like, first it's crazy that people spend their time doing that because also that's not what celebrity, that's not what makes celebrities fun. Exactly. Well, that's, that's what skeeves me out about it is that People don't realize or they do realize or they just don't care that they're using their love for the celebrity as a coping mechanism because they don't want to deal with the difficulties of living their own lives. And they've found this person that they think is funny, they think is cool, they think is attractive, this person, this source of happiness, and they put them on a pedestal and it just... It's so scary to see 
the things that people will do in the name of celebrities that wouldn't, I don't know, piss on them if they were on fire. Oh, God, no. But I mean, those celebrities, I mean, I don't know anything about K-pop, so I probably shouldn't speak about them at all, just in case. But like, I think especially, I don't know, I'm just... I always think about like um, Bryce Nellis' Glamorama and the way that celebrities talked about there and like the way that celebrity existed in like the late 20th century and early um, 21st century, like as this, again, is like an image more so than a real person. And I think it's really interesting, like those posts of like K-pop stars and stuff, they, again, they objectify them by trying to humanize them. Like by dissecting them into little details, they're sort of trying to prove, like the fans, I mean, trying to prove to themselves that person is real, right? That they have certain features on their face that change, like that I don't know, but sometimes they sleep less and they have under eye bags or whatever. Like stuff like that, where it's like by dissecting that image, they're trying to humanize it. Well, I think people were more into like the idea of celebrities being distant and far away and dehumanized. Like we used to dehumanize humanize celebrities but now we humanize them and thus kind of objectify them more and and which makes it even creepier i think a good analogy for that is that the way you were saying that you know people thought of paris hilton as like a barbie doll um so back then they were dolls and then now people with people still trying to project certain images but still trying to be personable online it's almost like they're AIs instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so true. Right. Right. You're so right. That's a really good analogy. Okay. <laughs> that is so true. Which is so much fucking creepier. It's so much creep. Like, AIs are so much creepier than dolls. And the fact that we have fucking, like, AI influencers. Well, technically, they're not AIs. They're just computer-generated influencers. But they have you believe they were AIs. I'm sure that's not far off. Yeah. God, that's so creepy. Yeah, you're so right. Yes, because it's like a bunch of ideas and images mashed together, but the image is not real. It's kind of, it's very CGI. Yeah. Oh my God. That is eye-opening. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to think about this for like the rest of the week. Wow. (laughs) No. Yeah, that's why it's so like uncanny. That's why it's so creepy when someone tries, when a celebrity tries to like humanize themselves by like, you know, oversharing or whatever, like it just comes off so incredibly un- like unsettling. They're just pouring out their trauma for attention. And I think it's to the point where they don't even realize what they're really doing at a certain point. I think the one, the person in recent news who's done that and I'm sure, I, don't, I, I can't speak to her intentions. I, I don't know. But uh, what's her name? Christy, Christy mm, model married to John Legend. Recently oh, God. Canceled. Oh, God. Christy Teigen. Christy Teigen. Yeah. Christy. yeah. Um, recently shared a picture of her right after she, oh, there's something in my eye. God damn it. Oh, no. um, she shared a picture um, of her right after she had, had um, a miscarriage of her husband holding her in the hospital and her just like crying like immediately after. And there was something so just, I mean, she's, she can, um, sorry, there's still something in my eye. No worries. It's can, your um, time. 
vent and process her grief however she likes, but there's a certain level of inauthenticity that comes into the situation when you post a picture of such a private moment like that, and I don't know. It it just feels like, uh, just because even without the intention, she's still capitalizing off of sort of her victimhood, and I think it's, I don't know. It's but I think it is with intention now. I mean, she knows what she's doing, yeah. which is yeah. what makes it so much creepier. She just because got canceled. She's trying to get back into the good graces of the public. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe that's what makes the whole fame it girl thing so uninteresting now is the fact that, again, everyone is aware of those archetypes. We've lived around them for so long. It's like, I think that's why even up, up until like Kat Marnell, like Chloe Sevigny and Edie Sedwick and whatever, even if those people were aware enough of those archetypes, the archetypes were still sort of being solidified. Well, as now the archetypes are so like prominent and available and have been like immortalized in all sorts of different mediums and forms and to the point where everyone knows what it means. So it's like trying, so whenever tr- someone tries to embody those ideas and those archetypes, it just ends up being like, well, first of all, an interesting, but also sort of creepy and very embarrassing for anyone who tries to do it because like we, like you can already predict the ending to that story, yeah. right? Like you already, we already know what happens to eight girls for the most part. We know what happens to poor little rich girls. We, we know the ending. We've read this book so many times. Overabundance of information available to us at all times, which I think is actually so interesting seeing as no one likes to do any sort of research nowadays <laughs> before they say anything, which yeah. is just I, ironic. But yeah, there's just, I think to an extent, there is things are too easily accessible to the point where people are so used to having information simply handed to them. They just don't know how to seek out answers for themselves. Yeah. I mean, also like, like the sort of the loop is kind of broken, right? Like it's all kind of inconsequential while also very consequential. You know what I mean? Like, it's very like you, there's no responsibility attached to any of it. And yet the whole thing is kind of very high stakes because it's all out in the public. And so it's kind of I mean, I mean, quite frankly, we don't even have like the language to talk about this stuff. Like it hasn't been created yet because this new it's relatively like if the ideas and the iconography is old, the the way that it's being utilized now is completely new. So we don't like we just don't know how to talk about it. Clearly. I mean, (laughs) I don't know how to talk about it. (laughs) Neither do I. Okay. Uh Yeah, I think you're completely right on that. And I think it's because everything is so deceptively easy. It's deceptively easy now to become famous and to become a public figure and put yourself out there. And yeah, it's just, I don't think there will ever be another it girl. I think they're gone. I think they've died off. 
is yeah i mean the only people that i see getting even a little bit close are and once again it's that lack of that lack of uh having social media like the celebrities i see getting close to that status that mythos they don't have social media they're not constantly you know letting everyone know what they ate for breakfast and i think that that's a huge part of keeping that level of coolness i guess yeah i mean coolness is all about mystery coolness is all about being low effort and social media is really like working against the algorithm takes so much time and so much effort literally <laughs> crazier but i i think the only way i think that's why in a way your instagram account is really important um because i think the only way to talk about this stuff is through visual language i don't think there's any way to discuss it in words like i think the only way to like come to terms with the idea that you know fame is a concept is kind of over and you know they're no longer going to be any it girls or poor little rich girls or any of that stuff is by like visually representing it yeah absolutely and thank you <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> um yeah and seriously, I, i'm a huge fan <laughs> thank you I, i i try to in the very beginning when i made the account i I tried to keep to certain trends that I knew were were um popular at the moment because I knew that that's how I would event I would gain traction and eventually be able to branch off and start posting things that I liked and then have people come to me instead of having to draw people in by giving them things that they enjoy which is yeah. a cycle that i feel like a lot of people who start instagram accounts that and they focus on pop culture stuff or fashion and they just post the same things because they're they're trying to find things that other people want to see and that instead of posting things that interest them and having the people come to them in a way i don't know yeah No, that's that's an interesting way of like tracking the algorithm, I guess. <laughs> like by giving, yeah, by giving people what they want to see and then influencing the trends after, which I guess is kind of like what the it girls of the 2010s try to do. It just never kind of it kind of ended with like replicating trends really. Like I don't know, again, to like bring it up to bring bring it back to like Sachung like cuz she has like a fashion brand now, which is basically like her like I don't know, remaking sweaters she saw on Oxford Street like I don't, I don't really know what she's doing with that at all. It's very like Instagram brandish. <laughs> That's the, the same vibe. There's a lot to be said for some of the creative fashion endeavors of the post it girl millennial generation. It's just a lot of chuginess. <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. Another one is like Suki uh, Waterhouse. <laughs> sorry. I'm just laughing. But I'm sorry you said Soupy and that just, just said <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Sorry. I have the, like humor of the 13-year-old boy. That was like so funny to me. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah, Suki Waterhouse. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no yeah but actually i think maybe even if the it girl archetype is kind of over now i think poor little rich girls can still exist because a poor little rich girl is not necessarily famous oh, i think yeah. we all know poor little rich girls i know so many poor little rich girls and it's just at this point but at this point when you, when you see a poor little rich girl in real life when it's not tied up with a bow and wrapped up in like a in i don't know a cool archetype and this is someone that you have to deal with in real life there is no sympathy to be found <laughs> there is no sympathy to be found because just the way that they make everyone else's lives a living hell a, a, a living hell <laughs> is what i would say yeah well do you have any catholic school stories that you'd like to share what was like the most poor little rich girl i don't know scene encounter thing that you've ever seen i'll, I'll tell you this and i was technically involved but i claim no responsibility for this um so i attended a school in the state that i lived in <laughs> in louisiana of course the clarity said that um and it was a catholic school it was an all-girls catholic school uh the students and their families were all generally pretty affluent but of course there were people who were there on financial aid, scholarships, things like that. So there was some, you know, um, there was a general class differential sometimes, but it was uh, the difference between like barely being able to afford the tuition and like driving a G-Wagon to school, which was the <laughs> very like distinct divide, which was very interesting to see. Um, but one story that I have is that, so when I was a senior in high school, we have this ceremony in which you pass on a senior ring to uh, a junior uh, below you that you choose as your little sister, so to speak. And after this ceremony, it's, you have this uh, ceremony in church, uh, there's this party the uh, mass after party and it's held at a student's house and the school generally knows about it. Um, but this year we had a new headmistress. <laughs> yes. And it, oh. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually referred to her as a headmistress. Yeah. Um, we had a new headmistress and she wasn't from new Orleans. She didn't know that underage drinking is <laughs> very normal. Um, and so the party happened, um, people were going crazy. They were drinking a lot. They took Snapchat videos of people th throwing their underwear into a bonfire and dancing around it and like forcing people to down so much vodka. And for some reason, someone decided to put that on their public Snapchat story. An underclassman saw it, and by underclassman, I mean, like, a sixth grader or something. Somehow, a sixth grader got a hold of a video. Um, 
And so their mother saw it. They turned it over to the school. And the school, the headmistress started, you know, there's this witch hunt for everyone involved. They were trying to track down all the videos, all the pictures, everything. And so she keeps calling people into her office one by one, the whole grade. She goes by, she goes down the line and calls the whole office, calls everyone into her office one by one and sort of interrogates them. And this goes on for a few days. And she gets to this one girl. And I guess at this point, she'd really had enough. And she essentially implied that the girl's mother was a bad mother. What she did not realize is that said girl's mother was on the board. Next thing we knew, we weren't getting in trouble for partying and underage drinking and putting it online. We were having an assembly to talk about how the headmistress would no longer be returning next year. So she got fired because she dared to try to get us to have any punishment whatsoever for having a wild party in which we, I did not participate in the underwear burning, but that did occur, and underage drinking. So she ended up getting fired for that. That is like something out of Gossip Girl, literally. I'm pretty sure there was like an episode in season one that was all I about like it. Same. 40. <laughs> I swear he's God is my witness. It's you. I, I, I can barely believe that I experienced a lot of the things that I did. Rich people are like you would not believe. They're very interesting. They're not complex. They're very simple. <laughs> they're, they're interesting to say the least. Um, I also went to private school and um my family used to be pretty well off. So like I partook in my fair share of poor little rich girl antics, which included going to boarding school for a month and dropping out. Um, <laughs> it's still probably the most insane thing I ever did. I, I went to boarding school in the UK for literally a couple of weeks and then I just left. <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. and then I so moved back to the UK because I just can't stay away from the country. But, um, and then my parents went bankrupt. So like I literally turned into a poor little rich girl, quite literally. <laughs> you got you got the shit's creek treatment. Yeah, quite literally, yeah. But like the poor little rich girl archetype is so like it literally latches on to you. Like if you have any money and you have any issues with your parents, yeah. it's gonna possess the hell out of you. I guess I shouldn't speak so high and mighty, because I guess I probably also qualify in, in, in some ways. I definitely should not be so high and mighty at all. But I just, I don't know. There's a level of self-awareness, I guess, that it takes to totally. be a, a little rich girl without being a poor little rich girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I think totally. I think, but it's funny that a lot of poor little rich girls now are kind of socialist like that's that's the route of poor little rich girldom that they chose instead of like instead of drugs and cool friends they now <laughs> join the dnc or whatever which is just embarrassing it's like god damn it can you go do some coke or something i don't want to see you at another protest like yeah. this is just because <laughs> it's it's a way for <laughs> just to garner sympathy from the public for being rich in a way that people didn't used to do it's like 
pity me for being rich because I shouldn't because I wish I wasn't rich. But also, I don't know, because poor little rich girls of the past used to still embrace and flaunt their wealth in a way. Not so much flaunt, but embrace it and not... I mean, they used to flaunt it too. You look at Edie Subic taking like limousines everywhere and Barbara Hutton, Doris Day and Gloria Vanderbilt too. Like they, they definitely embrace the glamour of it all. And now it's like, yeah, my parents are rich, but I'm going to become a communist Twitch streamer, which is like, what the fuck? No, please just (laughs) do yourself, please. Yeah, like I think, yeah. If you're a poor little, if if you're a rich girl anyway, and you want to be a poor little rich girl, if that's the archetype you want to embody, then yeah, just go hang out with some artists. Like you know, don't be Ella Emhoff. Don't do that. <laughs> really, truly, honest. We, we'll, we'll never, never know. know. <laughs> I mean, I guess she is. I guess she is the it girl of the moment, which really says a lot about the moment. That's- very true and uh, this is a the bad timeline is what it is <laughs> this is the bad it, timeline it is a very bad timeline yeah 